Welcome to the Open Metaverse podcast. I'm your host, Mehdi Farooq, Senior Tokenomics Analyst at Animoca Brands. Uh, today with me, we have a very special guest uh, known as Vedar Research on Twitter. Uh, he produces amazing Web3 gaming content and also uh, provides amazing consultancy when it comes to tokenomics. Uh, Vedar Research, welcome, welcome to the Open Metaverse podcast. Thank you, Mehdi. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Before we delve deeper into Web3, I was curious to know how did you get into crypto and Web3 itself? Sure. Um, I used to work at a finance firm and an investment firm, and uh, we did investments in crypto, gaming, fintech. And I've been personally very interested in DeFi, tokenomics, crypto. Um, and, and through one of the funds we were invested in, I, I came across um, YGG, Axis, and blockchain games. And um, from there on, I just, just love the industry and then uh, quit my job and went full time on blockchain gaming as um, through different different uh, experiences, but then ended up um, doing tokenomics, game economy, design consulting. Uh, since you're very active in Web3 games and, and you also have a very strong background when it comes to DeFi gaming. Uh, what's your core Web3 gaming thesis at the moment and perhaps how has it changed since you since, since you started, uh, since you entered this field? Um, I mean, initially I was, um, I was amazed by the fact that you can have an open economy for games and the games could, you know, have their own economy, basically, just like a country having its own economy. So that was pretty exciting to me. And that just, uh, at that point, I didn't have a specific thesis, but I just saw the numbers. And the numbers were just, you know, skyrocketing, um, and and the fact that with tokens and NFTs you can design very interesting incentive mechanisms, systems design, uh, just just attracted me to the industry. Um, and again, I didn't have a very long term thesis, but as I got deeper into the industry, um, into gaming and, and Web three gaming. Um, my my thesis has evolved to the fact that you know at the end of the day, games need to be fun first. Um, you do need to have games that are entertaining for people to to get in to to, to play them. Um, but the 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 financial elements that Web three allows, which is basically enabling um, the developers, game developers, to pay players. Uh, is I think very interesting. You can have these fun games, and you we already see fun games in in Web two. But what Web three allows is that, um, in, in Web two only the players could pay the developers. There was a one way relationship, but now the developers can also pay the players with rewards. Um, plus, the the assets that are owned by the players could be traded amongst players. So this could create an additional layer of entertainment, an additional layer of potentially higher, you know, LTV engagement session times, etc. Um, so the thesis is that games, again, you gotta have fun game first, but then games that are able to um, turn an open economy into their advantage could potentially generate much, much higher revenues, LTVs, franchise values, compared to a closed economy game. This is basically the main thesis. Um, but of course, other other thesis of Web3 Gaming is uh, the fact that ownership of data, access to data um, that, that others have, 
Um, whereas, you know, in a, in a, with a fully on-chain game, for example, um, anyone can have access to the data of a fully on-chain game. Um, and interoperability could all is another aspect where if I know that, you know, um, Methy loves shooter games and he loves playing, I don't know, Metalcore. Um, and if I am building a shooter game, I can target your wallet with, you know, um, specific NFTs or specific quests that can enable you to earn maybe items or, or, or have a more customized experience. Uh, so the, the, those are the areas that I'm, I'm pretty excited about. Absolutely. I echo a similar sentiment. For me, uh, the digital property rights is, is, more, is, is a bigger focus. Uh, it all ties back to what I studied in, 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 in my undergrad. Uh, there have been multiple studies where economies that have digital property rights tend to, over the period of time, have bigger GDP capital base. And for me, that kind of uh, opened my perspective if we can have digital property rights in games or, or across different uh, verticals within crypto, that also means over the period of time, the TAM increases at a rapid pace. So even if the game is not of highest quality, of course, we want it to be fun and of the highest quality, you'll still see the size of the economy bigger than, let's say, Web2 counterpart, just because of the fact people can own stuff. Uh, and for me, um, when when I started to dig deeper into that thesis, I, I like that was the aha moment for me that, wow, uh, there is something there. Uh, so we have seen the whole evalu uh, evolution of Web3 games, uh, but there has been a theme where play-to-earn games have kind of failed. Uh, so so games like Step In and Pigaxi. What do you think went wrong uh, with those games? And before you answer that question, we also have Mo with us, uh, who is my co-host and and senior uh, and head of tokenomics at Animoca Brands. Hello, Mo. Hey, Mehdi. Hey, Mate. Thank you for your patience. Great to have you with us. Yeah, I'll, I guess jump straight into the questions <laughs> or the answers in this case. Hey, Mo, great to see you. Yeah, um, what went wrong with some playthrough games like Steppen? So I guess, um, in short, the outflows were more than the inflows, um, which led to unsustainable economics. So players were attracted by high returns or almost like free money um, offers. You 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 buy something for ten dollars and you earn um, hundred dollars over the next sixty ninety days if you're patient. Um, of course, is unsustainable and and uh, should have been financed by other revenue sources, sustainable revenue sources, but didn't occur. Um, and their their design just wasn't sustainable, uh, especially with the case of Stepan. You know, um, Stepan had had reached the high um, data active user figures because, again, they offered very high um, token incentives, returns on their sneaker NFTs. Um, but as the growth slowed down, um, there wasn't enough demand to finance those returns. So eventually the, the utility tokens price, the utility token price went down, the supply went up and it just, uh, it just slowly collapsed. I think it's super interesting because we, we've been having discussion internally and it's more been about like what is the value of tokenomics within a lot of these different projects. And for us, it's a value add based on the core value proposition 
of that project or that, that platform or ecosystem. Yeah, what we've seen in the aforementioned projects that those projects, if there isn't actually a project or there isn't actually a, an actual use case behind it. It's just an, yeah, a, a way to earn money unsustainably with no other income sources coming in. I mean, we see, for example, in, in hyper-casual games, you have some game studios. So we have Viker internally and they're releasing their first sets of NFTs. And the main value driver there is a ref share from the advertising that people are watching. And that is sustainable because the revenue coming in isn't generated by a token, it's generated by actual money coming in. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it's... Um, so there, there, there are two ways. I think number one is, well, you might have a hyper-casual game and you might still give some token rewards, token NFT, some like monetary rewards, and you might have a positive impact, actually. Like an example is this game called Bitcoin Miner, developed by Found Games. Um, they pay like, you know, six, seven cents per player per day on SATS rewards, Bitcoin rewards. And it actually boosted their like retention and, and LTV figures. Um, and, and that is great. But anything above that in terms of rewards is just unsustainable um, because like hyper casual games at the end of the day, they don't require much skill. So you you, you would rather have um, like a game of skill or some randomness where uh, you'll have like a zero sum game element where, you know, someone wins, but so, someone else loses. So um, the loser actually finances the, the, the winner type of um, model or design is more sustainable than where everyone is winning, no one's losing. And it's just, it's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, this brings me to another question. Uh, so Veda, in your opinion, uh, what are some of the interesting token design and value capture me mechanism that you have recently seen apart from this one, or you actually want to see the, uh, the and, and you think is lacking in the industry at the moment? Yeah. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> those that are, those that are, those that want to have value accrual mechanisms, the most straightforward way is for the token to be currency for the inflow. So any, you know, think of any protocol, any underlying business with, with a Web3 element, they're going to have some sort of inflows and revenue, right? If these inflows slash revenue are paid in the form of their native currency, native token, then um, those tokens accumulate in the treasury, in the protocol's treasury, and that is a natural way of value accrual. Now, that is not always the ideal case because you introduce additional friction points when you want, ask someone to buy their governance token. You know, they might need to go to a DEX, to, to an exchange. It's just, it's just an additional um, UX friction point. Um, another way is, you know, you can, you can basically buy back the token with um, the stablecoin fiat or other non-governance token earnings. Um, which again is not the ideal way as well because it might not um, be the best method in in terms of regulatory or legal perspective. Um, so that's on the token side. On the overall like game economy side, some designs that I like are like Splinterlands and Shrapnel. And what I like about them is that Splinterlands have this has this game economy where. Um, it's almost like a zero-sum game economy, but it's so well 
engineered that um, it's difficult to it's difficult for the ordinary player to understand that it's a zero sum game. Um, so some you know all players spend a specific amount of money, but not everyone gets back what they spend. Some earn more than what they spend. Some earn less based on their gameplay or based on how much they spent on some pay-to-win elements, which makes things even you know more interesting because now um, a guy that just wants to win and wants to get the feeling of win sort of finances the um, more skilled player, the more, let's say, let's call it play-to-earn player. Um, but the guy that pays to win doesn't always win because... Um, they also introduced some like randomness. So I really like Splinterlands design, even though it could have been better. Like I don't, I don't like the fact that they end up um, selling land and, and all other stuff. Um, and Shrapnel, what I like about Shrapnel is that they try to like stabilize the NFT prices um, because you know I like this argument that look, players might not want to care about their assets price stability so like if i have this gun um and that gun um was you know was i, I paid like 50 dollars for the gun and tomorrow it's 100 dollars, and the next day is two dollars and then the, the the following day it's 200 dollars again it's just i'm gonna have a heart attack you know i i don't want to deal with um the the volatility i want to just play the game i don't want to think whether i should have sold it or or whether it's a good time or a bad time to sell um, now I might be wrong. Maybe some, some players might actually enjoy that more and some, it might be, um, an element that retains those players or make them even spend more. Um, but for the average gamer who just wants to play the game, um, maybe it might be better to take away the speculative utility from some of the core in-game assets and put it somewhere else, like in tokens or some other, you know, cosmetic NFTs. Um, so yeah, that's why I like shrapnel design as well. Even though keeping that peg um, is challenging and deciding on what the right price should be and managing that is also another challenge. You, you touched on land and that you don't like land. Is there anything specific regarding land that that puts you off or or you feel is is unsustainable within different projects or models yeah um so it's it's a bit difficult to bake in utility on land usually the land the average land um has has a fixed supply right um and it it's usually sold at pretty relatively higher prices because of the analogy to real world land. Um, and when you're selling a fixed set of, you know, um, NFTs at such high uh, price points, you need to actually deliver on those, on those, you know, propose on the, on the sale. Um, so I, I struggle to have a utility for land that might make the overall economy sustainable in a sense that, you know, one utility is that the landowners are able to produce um, strategic resources. But if that's the case, then the land becomes a speculative asset. So like if you're making um, land a speculative asset, then um, like a lot of speculators are going to hoard it and 
they're going to make the land unaffordable for the real players. But, well, if, if the land price becomes too high, it means that the resource they're producing is going to be high as well in price. Um, and, and, and the players that actually want to buy the necessary resources to play the game have to, um, you know, pay this tax to the landowners. So I, I'm, I'm more like, um, I'm more a fan of uh, separating the speculative value from especially assets that are fixed in supply. So like if, if, if the land is variable in supply, you know, then um, you can have like a price cap based on different parameters and people would know that land is not a very speculative asset. Like it is speculative, but not very speculative. Yeah, when you have a variable supply land, you can have the land price fixed at a certain, not fixed, but you can cap the price through different parameters. You can fix it. You can cap it based on underlying token price or some other price. So then land still has some speculative value, but it, it's not the, the core speculative asset. If you want to speculate on the future success of this underlying game or business, you're probably better off buying a token. Um, yeah, it's 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 about the utility of the land, to be honest. Yeah, uh, to Vader's point, like if you look at Splinterland, it didn't make sense to have a land because you have a card game. So uh, how would you have land anyways? Maybe it's a stadium, who knows? Uh, but in some other cases, like when we talk about metaverse, I feel like land over there can be a productive asset and things can be built on top of it. And when you have a productive asset similar to real world economy, it generates something and hence it has a value. And to just refute one point regarding unproductive speculative asset, uh, there are different economic policies out there. Like one one of them is called Herbinger tax. So let's say if you just buy land for speculation and you don't build on anything on top of it, you're taxed in, in let's say, in the UK. But for example, this can happen on, on gaming and, and, and metaverse as well. If you're just speculating and not building on, on top of the land, we can tax you and hence kind of reduce that speculation and allow that utility and productive capacity to flourish. Yeah, there though, I was thinking about this as well though, but you can still rent out the land to someone else and have them do the work and get away through that tax. So it, it is definitely a good way, but it's like, so like if if we're trying to prevent um, the inefficiency of land, meaning like if our aim is to put the land in the hands of people who deserve it so that the access wealth created doesn't go in the hands of people that don't add value, um, I don't know if it does a good job to prevent that. But it, so it, it depends on like, like in a game, a land probably would act more like, function more like an NFT in a sense that it would produce resources. Whereas in a metaverse, like a, a Decentraland, um, the land works more like a, um, you know, you need the land to create user-generated content. Uh, so it acts more like a, a gate to be able to produce content and from which content you might earn more because, you know, it's like you're shopping in a, in a shopping mall. Um, so even if you tax the landowner, well, if that land is doing well, um, like they can just rent it out to someone else. But but yeah, it's it's still it's still better than that. Yeah, I guess it, it then depends on what the value proposition of of that land is. So it, it, internally, 
one of the newer models, I guess it's not that new anymore, is hosting tokens within the, the land itself of the planet. So that's something that's in Phantom Galaxies. It's something that's being developed within our Life Beyond ecosystem as well. And then it comes down to the work done on the land. And to, to Mahdi's point earlier, it, it really brings in a lot of what we see in Web2, that I may own the land, but unless work done, unless work is being done on that land, then I can't actually earn anything from, from there. And it also moves us away from speculative assets because you have the underlying value of the land is also in the tokens that are remaining within that land as well. If we take away any USD peg from, from that aspect. So I think it's, we sometimes forget we're very early in this and we need a lot of things to go wrong for us to be able to iterate and look back at what, what pros there were, what cons we were. Market conditions naturally play play a big factor. And I think that's probably a, a nice segue into, into us having a look at the past month. We've seen a lot happening in the space. We've seen the fall of, of FTX and we've also seen the Apple Store implementing its, its 30%. Um, and more recently, we've seen they're now wanting 30% of the gas fees from, from the Coinbase wallet, which is super interesting. I, I, I guess there's two big things to talk about there. So I'll, I'll give you choice what, what you want to dive into first, the collapse of FTX or the rise of, of Apple taxing Web3 products. Yeah, let's let's talk about FTX. I mean, FTX collapse is, is pretty sad, to be honest, just because uh, like Luna maybe was expected but FTX was a was a real black swan, at least in my personal opinion, um, and it's it's really affected the trust and credibility of um, a lot of the you know okay retail investors. Maybe you know they they have a relatively shorter memory and and they might come back during another bull market, but institutional investors are are act slower. And it's more difficult to, um, you know, convince them and 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 um, have them ready to invest a significant capital into crypto. So I feel like institutional investor adoption has would slow down after FTX collapse. And I guess to that point, do you think we've seen the fallout, or is it just just settling, and we're we're slowly going to see the impacts of of FTX's collapse on the rest of the space? Um, I feel like it's, you know, we're going to see a, a more collapse, but uh, at the, on the other hand, um, I feel like some institutional investors are actually buying in at these price points. So that's why I think like, like I would expect the, the market to go even further lower, but um, there's also this, like, I think the, the, the buy wall that doesn't let prices to fall below a certain point. Um, so we might, we might be on a dip, actually, but please don't quote me on that. This is not financial advice. Definitely not. It's super interesting because I know for us internally, it's it's sort of it's we know black swan events happen at least a couple of times a year in in, in crypto and, and the Web three space. But there has to be the narrative that builders are going to keep on building. We have to keep on adding value to the space that there will always be bad actors given the nature of the space. And in, in every space, there are bad actors. So I guess it's for anyone listening, it's not doom and gloom. There is always hope. There is always a there is always light at the end of the tunnel. And we're, we're continuing to build. We're continuing to learn from the mistakes in, in the space, regardless of how small or big those, those mistakes are. And I guess then Apple and the tax and even taxing gas fees, 
I mean, I, I, I didn't see that one coming. I'm not sure how, how you guys feel about that. Yeah, tax on gas fees, that's that's too much, man. Like, it's, I mean, it's it's just gonna, um, you know, I guess they can, they can actually make either exchange or customers pay that tax because it's just gonna be an additional 30% of the gas fees paid to the validators. Um, Apple is just making things harder and harder for for Web3 gaming. And also making a case for a Solana phone, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a tough sell for, for people, but yeah. Uh, so on the topic of building, uh, so we have seen few dual tokens fail uh, in terms of experimentation last last few years. So, Vader, if you were to build a dual token economy, how would you go about it? Yeah. Um, so recently, I've you know, I'm personally more of a fan of like one token, one on-chain token, rather than two, just because I think um, the value accrual utility makes a lot of sense, and the fact that you as a developer can reward early supporters, early players, early users with your kind of quasi share um, is great because, you know, I discovered Uber in early 2013, or maybe I was like a driver of Uber in 2013. Uh, and then Uber, you know, became this like billion dollar company in, in 2020, but I didn't get rewarded, right? Even though I was an early supporter or an early um, employee. Um, so I guess I really like the fact that tokens are solving that problem. Um, so I like the value accrual utility. Um, on the other hand, I'm not a huge fan of the medium of exchange utility. Um, so trying to have like another token that is less volatile that you want to have as like this medium of exchange, this, this currency to make payments. Um, I don't see huge, huge need for that just because at the end of the day, um, like the game players are not citizens in reality. They are paying groceries, rent, uh, you know, everything in, um, in 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 their own local currency. Um, so most probably players are gonna keep their actual money in their own local currency, or maybe USD, or I don't know something else. They're probably not gonna keep it in your um, in-game currency. You know, if they want to bet on the game's future success, they can buy the governance token, the the more like value accrual token. Um, so that's why I'm not a huge fan of the second token, um, but I do like the some games Im implementing this like off-chain token, um, where you can actually set um, the ratio between the off-chain token and on-chain token dynamically. So, for example, you know um, you might earn five token, five off-chain token a day, but you're not able to convert that into an on-chain token until let's say you you hit. Um, I don't know, thousand off-chain tokens. So in this way, you're actually uh, preventing, um, you know, a lot of gold farming and, and different activities, also minimizing players to cash it out and like adding a bit more different um, rules such as that could, you know, um, encourage players to reinvest those tokens or earnings back into the economy, which is, you know, what we want at the end of the day. Um, but for those that want to like doodle token, um, like I would advise just, you know, having a, a spreadsheet with like inflows and outflows and just um, 
look at how many tokens you're giving in a given week or month, and then have a price prediction model throughout, say, month one to month 12, and then see how much, um, like how much USD worth tokens you're giving out every month, and then predict, you know, how much you're actually earning uh, in, in, in tokens and in, in, in whatever currency and, and see what the, what the discrepancy between the, the earnings and, and, and the outflows are. If, if the gap is too high um, throughout that like 12 month, uh, 24 month, 36 month, um, that's not sustainable and the prices are just going to fall down. Um, yeah. So that would be my, my two cents on the dual tokens. That's an excellent take. Um, so, Veda, when you're advising projects uh, in, in terms of token design, economy design, I'm, I'm assuming they also ask you about what blockchain to build on. So, do you have any preference or do you have a favorite L1 that you advise for Web3 gaming or in general that you think has a very good ecosystem? Great question. Time to show my, my backs. <laughs> Joking. Uh, so, honestly, um, you know, the, 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 the most popular chains that the most credible ones that I think of are like Polygon, Avalanche, Solana, Immutable. The, these four would be my answer six months ago. Now, um, I'm not sure about Immutable because I don't think it's battle tested yet. And I think it's not EVM compatible. I think it's like you gotta program with Cairo. Um, Solana, it's not EVM compatible, and the chain has like stopped a couple of times, um, and it has been too dependent on, um, you know, the SPF FTX brand for a while, and now uh, which was which was a double edged sword, you know. Thanks to that, they grew so quickly. They were like I think one of the best performing tokens in twenty twenty one. Um, but you know, as SPF FTX collapsed, um, they also got hurt. Um, plus again, being non-EVM compatible, I think is a problem. Um, so I think like Polygon and Avalanche are, are really the two, two candidates that I would advise. I don't know much about like Starknet, Arbitrum and Optimism. Um, but I'm not sure if those L2s are going to be able to onboard a bunch of um you know different games so any any new projects or startups coming into the space or even pre-existing businesses that are looking to, to tokenize their offering what advice would you give to them entering the space like first of all why they need a token like they gotta they gotta really understand why they're tokenizing that it's not just because they're they're waving um they're riding through a you know, hype wave. And then the advice would be, um, honestly, on, on my end, the advice would be, you know, how we can build an economy around this and what is the most optimal way to distribute tokens, who should be who should be eligible to um, receive the tokens. Um, yeah, I don't know the other, like, non-economy design, non-token design aspects, to be honest. I think that's fair, and I think when we mention and we speak about tokens, we are mentioned we are referencing both fungible and non-fungible tokens in that instance, correct? Exactly, exactly. NFTs, tokens, yeah. 
Excellent. So, so Vedar, do you think everything in the future uh, will be tokenized? I, I know you, you, you have a view that uh, not everything needs to be tokenized, but do you think there'll be an attempt to tokenize everything? And what do you think would be some areas where that won't, would not happen and value might still accrue to equity? Yeah, I think uh, like what what I'm really excited about is the financial markets being tokenized, meaning like all the equity, bond, everything being on crypto rails, just because on the back end, um, the technology is much better than what they have right now with like reconciling and all that stuff. Like you look at, you know, you look at like, I'll say 30 to 40% of people working in finance in London right now, um, their job could potentially be replaced by by tokenizing securities. Um, but so I guess for something to be tokenized, there needs to be some sort of standardization. So like, you know, um, I don't know if like, let's say this, this pen, you know, like, I can't tokenize this pen. Um, even though there are like thousands of this pen, it's, it's just not possible. Um, which is why, you know, how like the commodities got standardized, etc. cetera. Um, fidgetal, fidgetal. <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah. Um, but I also real estate as well. I think it's going to be difficult to tokenize real estate. Um, some Some assets... Like, for example, you know, movies, music, these can also be tokenized because they have been tried to be securitized in the past and tokenizing is just a much better technology than, than, than securitizing. Um, yeah, but I think real estate won't be tokenized for a very long time. Though real estate funds could be easily tokenized. So it's interesting because real estate has been multiple projects that, that have attempted to tokenize real estate from, from 2017 up until today. And we're yet to see one with, with a sustainable or even a functioning model that, that fits in with the different laws and different jurisdictions and, and so on. I think within movies, super interesting. So we've recently had a big investment in movie pass. So anyone listening in our American audience who's who's slightly older will remember movie pass. So there is movie pass. Web3 edition coming out, still focusing a lot of the um, original value proposition of, of MoviePass. It's interesting to see how, how people take to that moving forward. And music, there's multiple projects going forward with all different aspects. If it's royalty sharing, if it's licensing, if it's um, we have pixel links internally as well, which is at the crux of, of games and music. So it's super interesting to see how that evolves over time as well. Yeah, I think it's it's such an exciting time to be in the space, even with all the negativity surrounding the space. I guess I'd, what would any final comments be to anyone coming into the space from a non-tokenomics perspective of it's crypto's dying, this is the end. What what would you say to any doubters or haters on, on that front? Yeah, I mean, the, the tokens are going to be here, I think, in the future. Um, and I think... Like things are going to get gradually, things are going to get regulated. And in my opinion, it's just going to um, move forward the tokens. Like the, it's going to, it's going to create bigger opportunities for tokenomics, token design. Um, and in reality, tokenomics is really 
blend of different areas, um, you know, finance, systems design, um, psychology, game theory. So, like, I would definitely advise for those that are interested in um, working in the industry that, yes, I mean, a lot of projects are fundamentally not sound. Yes, there are a lot of scams, but there's also a good amount of innovation happening in the area. Um, and and kind of picking the right projects, studying the right stuff is, is pretty valuable. Uh, in terms of studying, do you have any resource in mind that you can share with the audience if they want to learn about tokenomics or game economy? Yeah, I mean, so I personally learned tokenomics through like studying existing uh, tokenomics of, of projects like Uniswap, Aave, um, Curve, Axie, um, just diving really deep into those those projects, understanding the tokenomics, like asking questions, why is this like this? Why is that? Building out the models um, really helps have a good understanding. In terms of resources, um, I can I can advise like my own, my own articles, my own stuff. Um, I'm thinking who else? Um, Nat Nat Eliasson has good articles on this topic. Um, yeah, honestly, there isn't a good like there isn't a one, you know, source for for game tokenomics, just because it's such an early area and there's a lot of noise. Where like there are a lot of you know uneducated opinions out there, and Hence so this easy. <laughs> And it's so easy to get get wrong information. Uh, yeah. So before we depart, uh, we always ask this our guests one one crazy question. So the crazy question of this week is, uh, Veda, what's your favorite McDonald meal or burger? <laughs> so, okay, let me think. So I, I'm I'm not a I don't eat McDonald's much because it's not good for for the health, but but I do it sometimes. Um, I like that, you know, that's, that's, that's mech with double, I forgot the name, um, the, the sauce and they do the double burger. Big yeah, Mac, Big Mac. Yeah, exactly. The, the Big Mac, the, 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 Big, the big version yeah. of Big Mac. I like that one. All right, Veda, it was lovely, uh, having you with us today. Uh, we, we, we learned a lot and we covered a lot of ground today and also covered a lot of themes in the market. So thank you for coming to the Open Metaverse podcast. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be a part of it and looking forward to hear your future episodes. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as financial advice. Any opinions provided in this podcast reflect the views of the speakers only.